Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back inside Two Guys, One Shaker Cup. This is a, uh, a fun little podcast that Mr. Josh Shaw and myself, Ryan Buckeye, have been doing weekly. I mean, we're... You know, when we first thought about doing this, it's like, how many episodes can we do? And now we have like a list of things we can talk about. And it's every week to the point, maybe someday we do them twice a week. Yeah, I think if everybody is enjoying the content, uh, we'd love to do it twice a week or, or however many times you guys want to hear our voice. I mean, it's, it's cool that people are now reaching out trying to be on the show. I mean, we're not at that point yet. I think we want to hear ourselves talk more at this point before we start letting other people kind of you know, blow their wind in our sails, but I, I will get to that point for sure. So for people listening and, and wanting guests, it's going to happen. It's just, we want to make sure it fits what we're doing here on the show. And we also want to keep the show light. And what I mean by light is, I mean, we want to keep it like 35, 40 minutes because a lot of these podcasts go an hour 20 or longer and our attention spans are just not there. So we want to make sure we can keep people on board for the full 35 minute duration of what we talk about. Yeah. And I think um, with these short episodes, I mean, we obviously try to cover things as far as we can. I mean, we, we try to get as deep as we can, but with these, we want to keep them conversational. We don't want to get into like all the ins and outs of, of the data behind things, because that's not really what this podcast is about. But we would love for people to jump on, you know, Facebook or any of the other kind of areas where we're engaging with our content. And we'd be glad to expand or touch on things that maybe are a little bit farther in the weeds or you want to expand a little bit more. Uh, but we want to keep these, you know, small, you know, yeah. digestible, something that people can get some stuff out of it. They can hopefully then want to learn a little bit more about the subject and maybe they do some, some learning on themselves and kind of keep it that way. I think yeah. that's to me, I think that that works pretty well. You mentioned something really cool in terms of engagement on our social channels. Obviously we're on Facebook. We have the two guys, one shaker cup on Facebook, the podcast, iTunes, Spotify should be live. Now uh, we're on YouTube as well, where you guys can watch it. But the last podcast episode we published was about opening a brick and mortar or one of the, one of the recent ones we published was about opening a brick and mortar retail store, which got a lot of engagement on social. A lot of people had their opinions on it. And another topic that we're going to talk about today is basically what's the other 50% of people dreaming in this industry. What do they want to do? They want to start a supplement brand. I'll be honest with you. I've wanted to start one. I've looked at it and I've had ideas of starting one before, especially given my positioning and what I have now as a brand. I could easily probably take that and launch into a supplement brand. It doesn't make sense for that business, but I've thought about it. You've worked for big supplement brands before. I guarantee it's crossed your mind. Yeah. No, I think it's it's just natural. Like we said before the the earlier episode, I mean, it's one of those things where when you are passionate about something, you you tend to try to then try to monetize it and you you go towards areas that you feel like maybe you can make an impact or you feel like you have some value. And I think that we spend a good majority of our time around, you know, functional foods or functional beverages or nutritional supplements. So it's just natural that we tend to maybe find some areas that we think maybe we could, um, jump into or expand mm -hmm. on. But, uh, but that's what this podcast, hopefully we can, we can help people if they have similar ideas where they're looking at the supplement industry or looking at any industry in general. And they're saying, Hey, I think there's a hole here. I think I can fill this hole, but maybe I don't have, you know, a quarter of a million dollars, half a million dollars, a million dollars. Like, can I still do something? Can I still make this a option for me? Right. And I think that's kind of what we, we want to talk about because there is options for people. I, I just don't know if people are thinking critically enough about all the different options that are out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you were looking at it, Ryan, I mean, what were you kind of thinking about from some different angles? Because I mean, you know, you're, you're doing well in your career, you're, you're doing great, but it's not like you have, you know, 
quarter of a million dollars, half right. a million dollars in cash just sitting there waiting to, to start your next business, you're obviously putting a lot of that funds towards building your current business. Yeah. So, you know, what were you kind of looking at? When well, you there's, there's several options, and then we've talked about this before. Obviously, option A is, is you confront all the money yourself. But to your point, depending on how many SKUs you want, and by SKUs, it's, it, it's, a, it's a product. Depending on how many different products you want in your portfolio is going to determine how much money you want to spend. Because if you want a pre-workout, you're going to get one flavor pre-workout through a contract manufacturer. You have to run a minimum of 500 to 1,000 units at X amount per unit, depending on what your formula is. That's a lot of money to put up front. The second option, you can get investors. So I actually approached big uh, dietary supplement companies within the space, pitched my idea for a brand that I had once upon a time with a brand story. Uh, obviously, you know me. You and I think the same in terms of we want to develop that brand story before we go to market with something. We want to make sure it makes sense when we're filling the void. So I went to a big company and, and pitched the idea to the point where they would invest in the idea. So they would provide the money. This is partnering, basically, or having them be... At this, that conversation I had with the brand was not for them to essentially buy equity in the brand, but it was more or less like an, a, a, a business loan in which you'd pay back in X amount of days with interest. The other option then is obviously you can get equity buy-in from other partners. But then the, the common option, which, which is used nowadays, a lot of people do, is you can actually partner with a manufacturing company in which they actually have equity within your supplement brand. And I know a lot of people out there, common consumers have no idea. And I'm not going to name brands who operate this way because I don't necessarily need to or want to, but there are a lot of popular brands right now in this space that you might think they're owned by a single person. They're not. They, the, the manufacturing company has a, an interest in that company because they're manufacturing the process or the products, but that's not, and you might think, well, I want hundred percent ownership. You know, there's some positives to having the equity buy-in from a, from a manufacturer as well, which you and I have talked about this. So for me, obviously, I'm the type of guy that's very – I like to be controlling of my own like destiny. I want to be the one to make sure my stuff is exactly the way that I formulate it, to make sure the stuff is exactly the way that I see fit. So going through a contract manufacturer in terms of an equity buy-in was never an option. I actually wanted to front the cash myself. Ultimately, didn't do it because here we are. Um, but – I can see the reason why people go the contract manufacturing route and have them get an equity interest in the brand because there's a, there's a lot of benefits to it. And you've probably worked with companies that have, have those benefits before that you can actually speak to here for others that, that might not know what those benefits are. Yeah, I think you're you're kind of painting a picture that's it's pretty normal out there. You have this idea of kind of like buy, sell, or, or partner. That's kind of the, the, the deal at this point where – you know, buying is essentially if you're starting your business, you're going to be fronting the money. So you're going to be dealing with um, whatever you need to purchase um, through the funds that you have. Then selling is, is more from what you said, like selling equity or, or selling some type of convertible debt or, or something mm -hmm. that you can actually um, still have, you know, ownership or, or, or some piece of the ownership, but get those funds available to you. And then the, the third one's in what seems to be most popular um, nowadays is is becoming this idea of partnering. And this could be um, you know, a combination of a, a bunch of different areas. You kind of mentioned contract manufacturers. I've also seen it with um, like marketing agencies oh, yeah. um, or sometimes, you know, Amazon agencies, things like that, where you're, you're, you're filling the gaps in what maybe you understand in yourself of, of you're not self-aware, like you, you're self-aware enough to know you, you don't have certain skill sets or you, you need to partner with people to get um, you know, that one plus one equals three effect mm -hmm. because the, the, the contract manufacturer side, the one that you're, you kind of mentioned, that is a big piece of it because you, you tend, you're not going to do your own manufacturing. I mean, right. 99 out of a hundred times when you're starting a business, you're not going to have the equipment and everything to do that or the know-how or, or exactly. any of that. So when you're starting, when you're starting that business, you know, that's a big 
piece of where your cash is going to go is your product because we're talking about physical product companies, CPG companies. So you have a lot of your money going towards inventory. And if you don't have, you know, established sales channels and, you know, relationships and all these types of things, you're going to have some element of, of, you know, aging of that inventory. Mm -hmm. And you're going to most people are not really thinking about that fully in terms of how much cash they're going to need available to run their business while that inventory is still turning and, and a bunch of different things. So the easiest route that a lot of people are seem to be going is, is working or partnering with a contract manufacturer. And now a lot of the people were probably going to be listening to this because they were also the ones that maybe were talking about the supplement store one, you know, they're not necessarily, very well established in the industry to the sense of like me or you going to a contract manufacturer with an established, um, you know, pers you know, personal brand. Right. We have a lot of connections. We have people that would vouch for us, all these different things. We could partner with contract manufacturers. We could probably get some extended terms. We could do a bunch of, of different things that maybe is not available to the just person off the street because you have to also understand that these people that are getting thrown partnership deals, they're, they're getting thrown from all over the place that, you know, their resources are limited, their time's limited, all these things. So they're not going to just say yes to any person that hits them up and says, Hey, I got this great idea for supplement brands. I got right. this great, you know, because you don't really have any value or equity with them that they're going to believe that you can pull off or execute on anything you say, because ideas aren't worth a damn. They're not worth anything to anybody. You have to execute on them. So on the other side of the table, when you're, you're talking to somebody, they're going to be thin slicing you. They're going to be trying to understand, like, do you actually have what you say inside of you to pull this off? And so it's not necessarily a, an option probably for everybody, but right. it is an option that's out there. But saying that there's within there, there's always levels of every option. Yeah. It's not like you're just going to go straight to the biggest, baddest uh, contract manufacturers out there and they're going to, you know, they're going to front up a half a million dollars in inventory, but there are smaller manufacturers that maybe don't get as many of those options. And maybe you have um, some availability with them. So I think just in general, this, this buy, sell partner is becoming more of an option when you're starting any business, yeah. not just a supplement business. You brought up an awesome point, and I preach this all the time. So you and I both go to the, the Expos, the Arnold, the Olympias, um, you know, Fibos, you've been there before, I, I want to go. But you walk the floor and you see brands this year that will not be back next year because they're no longer in business. And what they typically do is they're buying. They're fronting the cash to buy their inventory based on an idea that they think is cool. Like, this is a cool idea. I get 25, 50, 100 people at my local gym that'll buy my pre-workout, therefore I have a viable business. No social media following, no personality within this industry, no connections within the industry. But again, this whole idea and concept of uh, I want to be a brand owner within sports nutrition seems like a really cool idea. It is a cool idea, but it's a stupid idea if you don't have a following and you're going to have to front the inventory, uh, front the cash, because you're not going to walk in to any bigger manufacturer and brand new to the space and get an investment. It's just not going to happen because you mentioned this. Like They have an interest in your brand. They need an ROI. They need to make sure that they're making a return on whatever it is that they're providing for you. Just because you have passion or you have a work ethic, like you have to prove that that exists. So most people, when they start a supplement company, if they're someone not currently involved in the space or maybe they're a, um, a personal trainer or whatever it is, passionate about fitness, they're going to be doing the buy method. And they're going to buy a ton of inventory and they're going to start with a pre-workout and they're not going to do things the correct way, most likely. That's why you won't see them the next year. But then you get the people like the influencers, and this is what Josh was kind of alluding to, where people believe them. They have a story. They have 
thousands of followers online. They take Fitness Informant, for instance, right? Like it's a brand that's been around for two and a half years. People know who it is. Now I have a story. I have reputation in the space. You mentioned connections. I could go to a contract manufacturer with a better opportunity of getting an investment into whatever idea I have, assuming that the idea is not complete dog shit. So like those are the two things. Most people listening to this, if you think like you're, you're new to the space, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize this was an option. Well, for you, it's probably not. It's not going to be an option because you don't have a story involved. So what you, what you can do is start your story today. Start building that network by somehow being involved in the space. Like you're going to have to be, we t- Josh and I talked about this before too, but you're going to have to be patient before you start a supplement company. If you want to start a supplement company tomorrow, good luck. Like, I mean, it's just, and this is something that we hear all the time from brand owners is that the market is saturated. It's the, the, uh, the barrier to entry is low because have you scrolled through Facebook before and seen a contract manufacturer with a paid sponsored ad saying, want to start a supplement company? Click here to learn more. Like that's what they're doing. They're getting these people. They're they're preying on the dreams of individuals who think it's cool to own a supplement company that don't understand MOQs, which is minimum order required quantities. They don't understand tolls, which is what you pay, and they get <laughs> completely taken advantage of. Or the contract manufacturer this is will will say this is a this is a formula that could work for you, and they, they create a formula that's not great, and it's just hard to sell. So it's interesting. I like the 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 investment. Opportunity because a not a lot of equity you have to put up as a brand owner, but there's so many more cool things that come with it. Like your your legal team is taken care of if you if you partner or get an investment. Typically, um, obviously your your labeling specs, all that stuff is taken care of, so it's following FDA guidelines because this is going to happen regardless. Typically, but the big thing for me is is having that legal team because if you're like a two three four million dollar company, no one's going to care. But if you get up to that 10, 20, 25, 30 million dollar company, that's when people are going to start suing you. And when you have a, a reputable manufacturer that's partnered with you, you have a stronger team to help combat any potential lawsuit that you might have come against you from another brand, a consumer. Um, and those are things that I think a lot of people, when they start a supplement brand, they don't think about that kind of stuff. Like, you do need a lawyer on staff, Josh. I mean, you need somebody that you can call in case you get your ass sued for something. And most people probably don't realize that. Like there are other benefits that come with it too. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, you made some comments that, um, you know, maybe somebody listening could be, you know, maybe turned off by saying, like, wanting to start it now. They're thinking, hey, maybe this isn't for for me. But I want to kind of spin it a little bit and say that, um, to me at least personally, I, I tend to think like, today is is kind of the best time to be alive to be an entrepreneur. Sure. Um, so. With with that, you have some of the some of the things that established brands that you said like low barriers of entry mm-hmm. and things. Those to the market already are are could be construed as as negative because it it adds extra competition or or what most people say is kind of saturation. You though on when you're starting a brand or when you're starting a business, those are actually positives because you have lower barriers of entry for, for product. As you're saying, right. like the minimums now are, are much lower because you have more contract manufacturers that are in the space. So you can run maybe 144s or 288s. Um, you can, you know, start your business with just a few clicks of your mouse with a Shopify site or Squarespace or Wix or whatever you want to kind of do. Um, you have the ability to globally market your business with a few clicks of your mouse on Facebook for free. And, and I'm going to, 
say free in quotations because <laughs> obviously it's pay for play and there's all these elements yeah. there. But you can market to anybody for free as long as you have the ability to maybe um, get some shareable content or, or whatever you need to do. But you have that element there. You have, you know, um, kind of just the idea of like Amazon where you have, you know, billions of eyeballs that are coming towards that um site. You don't necessarily need to be the established brand to win on an Amazon because you're winning on search terms. So if mm. you're really good at understanding search <laughs> algorithms, you can beat a lot of brands that are much bigger than you with a smaller budget. Right. Um, and then the other side of it, consumers right now are very willing to try new emerging brands. I think you mm -hmm. see that across all consumer packaged goods spaces right now, like the established legacy brands. Um, you can, you know, I won't kind of name names, but if you look at any of the big portfolios, they're all struggling with some of their, most of their legacy names right now. So those are getting kind of what they say, a death by a thousand cuts. Like a lot of small emerging brands are taking very small pieces of the pie away from this big brand. Yep. They no longer have as much available to them. So this whole environment right now with your low barriers of entry, you have, you know, you can have less capital, you can have uh, the ability to start, um, you know, globally marketing, globally selling all these different things with a few clicks of your mouse. It doesn't cost you all that much. You think $30 a month as a seller account on Amazon. So you have all these options for you have a, an appetite of buyers that are willing to buy products that maybe aren't the legacy ones that your parents bought or whatever. So you have this environment that just screams entrepreneurship, screams, mm perfect time to get in there. Now, to your point, what you're kind of saying, it's also kind of scary for these established legacy brands or just established brands in any space because they see this flood of incoming people getting in there. Now, short term, that does cause a little bit of headache and it causes some different things for fluctuations. But you made a point about just people getting in over their head, um, you know, maybe getting uh, thrown a marketing message or, or something, and maybe they don't know the whole picture about what they actually need. Right. A lot of those brands wash out pretty quick. Those aren't something that like is a long-term mm -hmm. um, effect to the market. It does create some short-term fluctuations, but overall, the market, the one we're talking about, is growing. It's um, you know, there's a lot of new people coming into it all the time, so it's not necessarily hurting somebody if they are properly you know, running their business, right. established players, if, if they were actually taking care of their own house and making sure that the uh, fire wasn't touching them around them, they'd be fine. The problem is a lot of them are looking and just watching the fire and not realizing, realizing that the back of their house is burning. That's mm. kind of what's happening at right now. It's interesting you put it that way too. And I also want to talk like when you mentioned that what I said potentially could scare some people off. The reality of the situation is it's, it's not easy though, right? So, I mean, either it's 30 bucks a month for an Amazon account, but how many people actually know how to work an Amazon account? Like that's a training, that's a whole nother ball game that it sounds easy on the surface, but to figure it out and to figure out the search algorithms and figure out terms and all that stuff, because Amazon is also a pay to play platform. So you have, you have that issue. And then building a website. Okay. There's that. That's also expertise that most people don't have. We have it because we work in the digital world, but not a lot of people have it. That's why people can charge $25,000 to build a website. It's freaking insane. And then Facebook, same thing. Like, you know, I mean, I got on my Facebook page, I have almost 14,000 followers or 14,000 likes. When I don't boost a post, like depending on the engagement, maybe a thousand people see it because Facebook intentionally doesn't let people see it because they want you to pay for it. So all these things are super easy. It's super easy to market and it's super easy on Amazon, but then figuring it out and navigating those waters and make whatever it is that you're going to do successful is a task in itself. So 
I'm going back to scaring people again with this, but I just want to make sure, like, from a business side, if you're going to do this, like, you need to have all your ducks in a row and understand what it is that you're selling, how you're going to sell it, what sales channels you're going to go through. Do you have any connections at all in a sales channel? Do, do you know that there are companies out there like Europa that exists? It's a distributor. Do you know that you can go D to C? Do you know you can go directly to the retailers? And I mean, there's a, a lot of options that. I, again, I think people just scroll through Instagram or scroll or they look in their in their cabinet and they're like, I really like these two different pre-workouts. I'm going to select four ingredients from each, put them together, and I'm going to business tomorrow. Eh, you know, it's it's not necessarily how it should work. For Now, don't get me wrong. There are probably people who have done that that end up being very successful. But the, the chances of that, like the business failure rate, I believe, is what, 94%? I think we talked about this. So, um, I guess back to the task at hand, like if you're going to do that and you're going to take the risk of fronting all the money, you're going to have to take advantage of a contract manufacturer that's doing a 144, 288, 500, whatever it is. Because once upon a time, those MLQs were 5,000. Like you had to put up that type of cash to do it. But now because there's so many different manufacturers in the space, it's very minimum because they want your business. And they're hoping that that 144 turns into 288, which turns into 500 and more SKUs. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy way to get into the industry now, but it's, it's still not easy to be successful once you're in it. Yeah, I wrote, so I was I was thinking about this, and I, I just remembered that uh, about a year ago, I was, I was on a podcast with the uh, just as a somebody getting interviewed, and they asked me, you know, if you had if if you know you had fifty thousand dollars, could you hypothetically start a supplement brand? And I and I um, wholeheartedly said yes, yeah, because um, I've I've worked with less um, with sometimes with some clients um, that have turned into very very well established brands. They just um, they were actually you know I'm going to probably expand on this, but they they had some obvious um, advantages and things when they were starting it. Just them knowing to reach out to somebody like me gives them an advantage right there because they have somebody that can kind of walk them through some of the sure. traps and and different things like that. But um, there, I wrote. I ended up reading an article about this after that podcast because I think there was some reaction and people thought it was kind of crazy. You know, they were saying we, you know, we would never do it for less than a half a million dollars and all these kind of crazy things. And what I kind of wrote down was what you were kind of mentioning about um, kind of looking internally and looking at like what you could provide in terms of like strengths, what you had for challenges make sure that you understood like what you provide in this. And, and I kind of broke it into two like very simplistic areas. There's, um, and this is just kind of the buckets that I've seen in the space of supplements. Like there's either, you're either very into science, the science part of it, like formulations, or mm -hmm. you're very into more of like the marketing, branding, sales side of it. Those are usually the people that are running the companies, either they are a marketing uh, person, per, you know, somebody that understands all of that, yep. or it's more of the science part. So when you get into those two buckets, then it's okay really do very well on, on what you can, you can really kind of dictate that part that you're really good at. So spend 60% of your budget of the 50,000 on what you're good at. So if you're really good at formulations, really make sure your product is top notch and then spend the other 40% on whatever you need to do. Is that, you know, partner with somebody, uh, hire an intern, whatever it is to get some of the sales and marketing stuff that you need done. And then on the flip side, if you're the opposite, if you're really good at those types of things, the product's not going to matter as much right. because you're going to be really good at telling the story, positioning it well, making sure that you maybe understand search algorithms on Amazon or, or you can, uh, maybe you're an influencer or something that you could point a bunch of traffic towards your website and, and get some initial cash flow, And then you spend kind of 40% on the product and just wait until the turns create enough of money that you can then go out and maybe buy some more. But it was kind of, to your sense, it was, it was kind of understanding 
you know, writing down what you're really good at, understanding what you have available to you in like resources perspective, and then what your challenges are, then try to figure out, okay, what can I either buy? What can I either, you know, sell or, or partner with to try to make sure that that part of the business is not going to struggle because that's kind of the, to me, from what I've seen on my side, and there's so many different nuances to those, but you tend to then, you, you tend to be fall in one of those two buckets. You're either really big into the formulations and you want to really create the best product possible, which there's no such thing as a best product possible because the, you know, so many different fragments of the market, but and on the opposite side, somebody's really good at maybe the creative, branding, marketing, or even sales. You know, some guys have come in with just big books of business mm -hmm. and they just know whatever they have in terms of product. Somebody's going to buy that and then it's their deal to get it out the door. So I wrote that article and it honestly got a lot of, of, of kind of interesting commentary on it because I think people just had no idea that you it could be done for such a small – but you have to be savvy. You have to really – understand yourself, understand the market. So though I put that out there and, and kind of, we even kind of started the, the show about something that maybe a lot of people didn't know about the people that probably would excel in a $50,000 budget are probably few and far between in terms of people that are listening, but it's, it's out there. It's, it's available, but right. you have to be a student of the world in which you're, you're dealing and you yeah. can't just have a passion and a love for it and hope that that's going to drive you to success. Yeah. I mean, you could literally, if you think about the minimums at 144, 20, let's just say 500 because it's an easy round number and 500 and you, your formula cost $8. I mean, right there you need four grand just to front inventory. Okay. You probably could start like Josh was saying 50 grand. You probably could start a supplement company for like 10, 12 grand. Like if you're good at building your own website, you're good at content just to get the product and then you have to turn it, but then you have everything else that you have to pay and it's just a cash flow game. So it's not ideal to start with that. You'd want obviously to have multiple SKUs, multiple flavors because the MOQ is typically, if it's like 500 or two, 144, and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, that's 144 of, of one flavor. Then if you want a yeah. second flavor, it's another. So if, if the contract manufacturer is 500 and you want three flavors, now you're at 1500 units. So you have to front that cash. So let's, let's wrap it back to how we started the show. Like if, if you had $50,000 tomorrow, Josh, what avenue are you going? Are you buying, are you selling, are you partnering with somebody to make your brand work? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm partnering. I mean, I think that I have, uh, again, I'm, I'm probably more self-aware than a lot of people. So I think that I know what I'm really good at and I know that what I'm poor at. So I think that I would go out and try to find um, people that were good at what I'm not good at. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean a contract manufacturer. Mm -hmm. um, that could be, you know, a whatever, a marketing creative agency or, or something like that, or just somebody that's a really strong hustler of um, sales or whatever. But I, I think to me, I would rather not go at it myself. Mm -hmm. I, I just, that's just my take. I think that if a lot of people were, you put the ego in the back burner a little bit and say, hey, there's some things that I'm not good at and I'm, I, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be good enough at it right. to get by on this and I need to make this work. Cause I think there's maybe a time element that we haven't really talked a lot about. Most people, when they're starting a business, they're not really thinking about having enough of funds available both personally and in the business for maybe six months or a year or whatever, until you turn a profit to actually be able to pay yourself. I mean, I've heard, um, a lot longer people wait until they pay themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, if you have a partner and you have this ability to kind of speed the process up a little bit, maybe it's better to have a bigger uh, pie and have half of that or a quarter of that over um, trying to get a all of just one little tiny personal pizza. I mean, I, I don't. That's me. 
Mm-hmm. I, I just even that's me with even knowing as much as I know about the industry and, and having 10 plus years in the industry, I would still go out and look for partners because I, I think it's just a better way to to way to go at it. But um, I, I guess I'll flip it back to you. Right? I mean, where, where I mean, you obviously thought about it probably a lot right. deeper than than maybe me. I mean, you you did take initially a look at right. the whole partnering deal. But I mean, you, you probably were thinking about settling on a different route. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's it's buy, but buy with a partner. And what I mean by that is finding somebody, one person within the space that knows the things that I don't necessarily know. So I'm not a strong point in the manufacturing side. I understand MOQs, I understand tools, I understand how manufacturing works, but there's nuances within that world that I have not been... I guess it, it, it put in. So somebody who understands that, somebody who understands labeling graphics on on the container side of things, like the things like that. That I, you know, I understand formulas. I understand marketing, branding. I can do that if I can find somebody within the space that is an expert in those other areas who's not a brand, but just like a friend, right? Like so, technically, it's still buy. And then the two of us collectively put in an investment. Now, the only reason I say that is a, I have a following. So I have something that I potentially could sell. B, I would have a brand story because I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to go to not going to go to market without something that makes sense. And, and C, like I mentioned this earlier, I like to control everything. I like to control what I can. And there's nothing against partnering with a manufacturer, but at that point, if you're a personality like me that doesn't like to give up control, then it's difficult because you have to. Like you have to give up control in that situation. Now, if I am Someone with no following, but just a passion with this, um, you know, obviously I'd love to partner, but then to your point earlier, they're not going to probably partner with me. So again, you're probably back at the buy level. So I think by default, I'm at buy, but I don't have any issues with partnering. I think there's a lot of benefits to it, especially if you want to just protect yourself, they can help actually open doors to partnerships with retailers and channels that you may not have because they obviously have those existing relationships. So your idea that you think could be a big idea could be an even bigger idea by partnering as long as you trust your partner and you can you can put your faith in that they're going to do the right thing for you and for your brand vision. Before we kind of wrap this up, um, I was thinking just to kind of expand that one step um, it, we're obviously just like hypothetically thinking, you know, what would we do if we, we started our own, our own brand? I'm going to kind of go and just kind of ask you like what, what maybe category or what would you, what would you think would be kind of the best route to go if somebody was thinking about s- starting this or, or is there, is there a correct answer to that? Uh, I think the default answer is high stimulant pre-workout, right? Like if you're in America, if you want to be, you I don't agree with this. Like, I don't like it, but I think in terms of sports nutrition, if you want to be like everybody else, but try to be different, you're going to come out with some sort of high stim pre-workout that gets people buzzing just to, to garner some sort of talk about your brand. Um, I think some people try to get fancy with delivery systems and they try to get fancy with packaging and it costs a lot and, and, and they fail because they don't necessarily have the expertise to be able to explain why it's better than something else. But for whatever damn reason, it's always these high stimulant pre-workouts that a new one comes on market and like people are screaming about and they, and they like it. Um, it. For me, like it's it's hard because you really to differentiate yourself. And you've talked about this numerous times before. It's not necessarily on the formula side anymore because consumers don't don't understand formulas. It really comes back down to that branding and marketing. Like how different is your brand feel? How different is your brand story than everybody else? Because your pre-workout's probably not going to be that much different than Redcon's pre-workout or Muscle Farm's pre-workout. Maybe there's a different dosage here and there, but to the consumer who doesn't give a shit, they're they're investing in what they think is cool. They buy Redcon because it's cool, 
not I, I, I highly doubt a lot of people buy Redcon. I, I shouldn't say this. Some people buy Redcon based on formulas because they're not bad, but like they buy Redcon because it's cool and it's everywhere. So um, me, like I'm putting a lot of my money in the marketing, but thankfully I have a conscience and care about the formula side as well. So I would want to create that because you mentioned earlier, like you had the formula geeks, the scientists, and you have the branding geeks. For me, I kind of blend both worlds, which is, which is nice, but not everybody is like that. And, um, you know, I would have the, the benefit there and this is not a cocky statement whatsoever. It's a confidence statement, but like, I think I could excel by being able to do both very similar to like, you look at a company like Nutribio, very good formulas. They've struggled with marketing and that's why I'm in there. They're currently hiring a whole entire like marketing team to, to get that taken care of. Cause I've had this conversation with Mark before. Like, could you imagine where that company could be if they had somebody in marketing that if they had Redcon's marketing, I mean, it would just be, re- I mean, their formulas probably wouldn't be where they are, but I mean, it's just be insane. So, um, you know, but I look at a brand like Alani New, who has been around for a couple of years and somehow just turned a corner in the last six to nine months. Um, and I don't even know what that pinpoint was and what changed them, but they're extremely successful now. And I didn't, I've never heard the brand before this last year. I never heard of them, but they've been around for a couple of years and it might've just been a change in their marketing shift, which is what brought them to where they are today and you probably know better than i do well fully transparent i don't know too much about that brand i know it's a it's fronted by i think katie hearn mm-hmm. which is a very successful uh, fitness influencer and then i think her, maybe her husband um i don't know like length of time or, or anything like that i do um, just know how strong her pull is right. in the industry and just how well liked she is from both uh females and males but i know this brand is is very much geared towards uh females yeah. so I think that, um, you know, I think it's also a good time in the market for brands like that because not only is, is it working very well on direct-to-consumer because she can pull a bunch of of, um, of her audience and attention towards those things, but you have some of the established physical retailers, especially some of the biggest ones. I think she just, uh, that brand just got into uh, GNC nationwide. Um, they're also looking for brands that stand out or different because they understand that there's a, a very strong attraction to um, influencers and, and having those brands, um, be only direct to consumer, they're limited because they're, they're never going to get to the scale that they could if they have the backing of a, of a very large, uh, retailer or retailers. So, um, there's, it's kind of a perfect world, uh, that's happening with these, um, kind of influencers, but to your kind of jumping way back to your point about the high stim and kind of what to start. I mean, I think that you're touching on something that is, um, could be applied to so many different, um, areas. It's this idea of that it's, you know, the, the biggest, strongest, fastest, um, more, you know, Instagrammable, uh, yeah. talk, talkable type of, a, a thing. And then you have the whole middle that's washed out. Um, that's just not available to anybody because it's just, nobody wants it. And then you have economical, mm-hmm. you've got the lowest level, um, value customers. Also. So if somebody's starting it uh, today, I mean, I think you have two options. I think to me, you, you either go on the fringes, um, you either try to create something economical, which is tough because if, again, it's, it's usually scale and money and you need to be able yeah. to buy purchasing power. Um, so you're usually then going towards more of the, um, extreme and that could be extreme marketing. That could be extreme uh, product that could be extreme, whatever, um, ex- you know, extreme social media, whatever you want to kind of, kind of go with it. Um, and then the kind of the other spectrum or the other idea here is to, to kind of look at the fringes or look at where the fragments are happening. Um, we talked about like emerging brands and, and just people getting in the market and there's there's this idea of saturation. But to me, 
uh, it's kind of a term that doesn't really make all that much sense because the market is always changing. So mm -hmm. saturation just shifts towards a fragment and a fragment fragments and it just kind of moves around. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, there's just not more, any more opportunities, just the opportunity shifted somewhere right. to a sub market. But, uh, you know, you have like these keto or you have, um, you know, all these types of kind of fragments that are happening. And then even within now keto, you have keto indulgence, keto mm -hmm. lifestyle, keto diets. You have all. So if you're starting something new, like, in, especially if you are an advocate of any of those things, or you're just, a, that's your lifestyle and you can <coughs> be an advocate of it. Look at the fringes. Don't just do the same thing as everybody else. Don't think you need to come out with a pre-workout or you don't need to come out with a protein or, or a BCA or whatever. Like there's a lot of things that are out there now that people are looking for that may be a little bit different and especially if they're true to yourself they might be something to go to but you know i think if that's if i was somebody came to me and they were looking to start something I, that's where i would kind of make them look at is some of those kind of fringe yeah. uh, areas or just the idea of, of extremes and or economical depending on the situation there's so many different ways to look at it but it's uh again i just go back to the idea of that it's a it's a really cool time to be an entrepreneur. Um, I know that the early episode when we talked about tailors and physical retailers, we might not have been as positive towards it because I think that there's that, that physical element uh, we downplayed. We were kind of saying, hey, you need to look at digital. You need to look at all these things and the opportunity expand um, just how cool entrepreneurship could be. In this world, we're kind of, at least to me, I think that you're, you're fully in the area where a lot of the Goldilocks scenarios are happening right now. So if you are able to be able to pull it off, which very few people are, so just make sure you, you, you temper your, your excitement a little bit, but <laughs> make sure you know, like, this is, this is a good time. It's a good time to be out there. Good time to try something if you are going to, you know, have that bug for entrepreneurship, especially in, you know, nutritional supplements or anything functional kind of uh, consumer packaged goods. Yeah. It, like you mentioned, I mean, the barrier entry is low. People can do it. If you have an expertise out there that you don't have to pay for web design, Facebook ads, PPC, stuff like that, that you can control yourself too. That obviously makes it even much, that much easier. Uh, there, it just depends on where your expertise lies, where your passions are, but just be smart about it. We're going to get a bunch of people that comment on this one and then they're going to, they're going to rip us apart for, for, uh, encouraging people to potentially start a supplement company. Like we're not encouraging people to do it. We're just letting you know if you want to do it, it's possible. And here are your options. So um, do us a huge favor. Subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube if you're watching us. Uh, algorithm is huge. So if there's a review, you can write us. We have several of them, which is we thank you guys for. And engagement on our social media platforms. We're at Facebook. Um, and just engage with us. Josh has been like the ultimate engager on these things. Like I've seen your back and forth with some of these people. And it's always like, they're picking the fight with you, Josh. They leave me alone. So I'm in the shadows, which is great, which is great. So I can watch from a distance. But uh, it's been cool to see that people are actually interested in, these, in this podcast and they have thoughts that, for the most part, differ from what we and I, you and I talk about. And it's good. Like, that's the great thing about this. The difference of opinion is, is welcome. And uh, as long as it's respectable and we can have a conversation back and forth, we'll continue to engage it on a continuous basis. It's been fun. Yeah, no, I think... Uh you know, I always say this, at least on my personal content, and I think that you've you've said it in some variations as well. Where you know we're both we're putting out this content because we want to provide uh, an area of discussion, like a forum for people to discuss a topic or an, an area of business that doesn't necessarily get the limelight that mm -hmm. a lot of the other ones do. So there's not a lot of 
availability for people to talk about these things. If you're a brand owner, if you are just a consumer or anything, we want you to ask questions, talk about things. This is your time to learn and, and for us to learn from you guys. So, I mean, the more engagement, the more discussion we can get, the better everything becomes. So when you're thinking about, you know, these pain points or challenges or whatever that you, you're complaining about, maybe about the industry, this is this is the opportunity for you to kind of work through it and clean it up and, and get some actionable areas around it. So, I mean, I think that both of us have enjoyed how much engagement and, and conversation that these um, these podcasts have, have created. And we um, are excited to, you know, kind of continuously create these and try to come up with ones that um, definitely, you know, spark some conversation because we, this is the point, I mean, thought-provoking, conversational type of content where me and Ryan are just sometimes a little bit differing. Sometimes we have, a, you know, opinions that are pretty similar, but right. overall we want to just create a forum for people to talk about subjects that maybe this is just not out there. And I'll tell you, if you say something on in social media and you're wrong, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. Simple as that. So, all right, guys, we appreciate you tuning in this week. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Hopefully it's a great episode, but I think they're all great. Josh, good to see you, buddy. Subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.